Welcome back to the Health Call Radio Hour. If you've got a question, you don't have to give blood to get the answer. Just drop us a line on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. That's healthcall.live. Or message us on the Health Call Facebook page. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent Lee Kelso. Welcome back. We have reported many times on how depression and anxiety are growing national health concerns. There are a number of causes for these mental challenges, of course. And today we're going to focus on one that is extremely common, hypercritical self-talk. You know, that little voice in your head that pipes up when you make a mistake. So you think to yourself, what an idiot. I should know better. Well, for some people, that voice is loud, it's constant, and totally unforgiving. Psychologist Rachel Turo has devoted an entire book to offering science-backed strategies to dissolve self-criticism and transform the voice in your head. Quite often, the research is very strong that self-criticism worsens mental health in a variety of domains. It's associated with higher levels of anxiety, depression, stress, post-traumatic stress, Hmm. substance use, eating disorders, and self-harm. So don't I need somebody to be giving me a little kick in the pants and, uh, you know, a little little encourage, well, not encouragement, but, you know, some incentive to move forward. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, that's a really fascinating question, right? Isn't some self-criticism valuable or necessary? I think so, but it depends on how you're speaking to yourself. So I think it can be done in an encouraging way. If you notice that your behavior isn't matching your values, you're not reaching out to your friends as much as is important to you, or you're not taking as good care of your body, your health, as you know that you should, um, you can notice that and sort of criticize it, but maybe with an aim of encouragement. Okay, this isn't quite matching up to where I want it to be. How can I help myself? What kinds of activities and actions can I take to make this more consistent with how I want to be? That's really different than saying, oh, I'm a terrible person because I haven't returned my friend's phone calls. I'm awful. Now they really don't want to hear from me because I waited a week. It's useless. So that's a really different style. Both are kind of critical, but one is more planful and encouraging, action-oriented and um Yeah, just, um, you know, kind of like, yeah, you can do it. Whereas the other one is, no, you can't do it. This is just awful. That's a lifelong habit we've all learned. Is it is it ever too late to to break that chain? Well, Lee, I'm I'm really glad you brought it up like that. It is a habit. People sometimes think that self-criticism is um, like a stable trait, like your height Mm. or your, you know, Uh, your eye color, but the evidence shows that it can be changed, that it is a habit. It's a very powerful habit, but sort of like smoking in that it impacts a vast array of health experiences, but there is actually evidence showing how you can make those changes. And there's also evidence showing that even if you think the self-criticism is motivating, it's linked with more procrastination and less motivation. We're going to get into your uh, six strategies a little bit later on. I want to hear some some real positive kind of try this step. So we'll do that in just a second. So give me an idea of where people go off the rails. One of the things I've heard of is catastrophizing. Tell me more about that. 
Well, catastrophizing is basically worrying about what could go wrong. And I wouldn't want anybody to blame themselves for doing this. This is part of what keeps us alive, right? Is to kind of be attuned to possible threats. You have to make sure that you're taken care of, that you, you know, pay your rent or mortgage and that you, um, you know, make sure that you get your car checked out. You want to make sure that you're paying attention to the stuff that could go wrong. The trouble comes when that takes all of our mental attention or when we go too far thinking about what could go wrong that we can't really enjoy this moment. And it's hard to just say like, oh, sure, I'd like to have a balance. I don't want to be thinking about the bad stuff all the time. But the evidence shows that beyond the intention, it's the actual practice, kind of like going to the gym, that really makes a difference. The regular practice of different mental activity. You know, I heard you in another interview uh, describe teaching a bunch of basketball players some of your key concepts, and I thought that was very interesting. Can you share that story again for us here? Absolutely. So the first mindfulness class that I taught at Seattle University, I didn't know, but most of my class was basketball players. It was summer session and they were required to be enrolled in a class on campus during the summer. It was a real lesson for me in how these skills are applied in different arenas. So for the basketball players, they were thinking about, well, how is this going to affect my game? They had a lot of self-criticism for the things that you know hadn't gone right. And some of that self-criticism was keeping them stuck in their mind and making them less present for the next minute of the game. But by practicing different mindfulness and self-compassion skills, they found that they could reduce that self-criticism so that they could still pay attention to, okay, what they needed to grow and develop and maybe parts of their technique that they could change, but with less self-hatred. So they experienced hating myself less on the court, less focused on the last play and more focused on what I'm doing right now in this play. Yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons in that for all of us. And another one that I took away from that experience for you was how important it is to practice and repeat these techniques that we're just about to talk about and what the basketball players taught you about the importance of that. Absolutely. I even asked them, like, I'm not really good at basketball. How many times would I need to, you know, practice taking a shot to get good at it? Like 50? A hundred and they, you know, laughed at me because the right answer is like, no, it's like 10,000. The more you do it, the better you get. And the same is true for working with your mind. If you just want to ruminate less and hate yourself less, that's great. But it's really the practice over and over again. And once you do it a few times, it becomes easier, kind of like any other kind of workout. Okay, well, let's start that workout. Let's get in our sweats and see what we can get done here. All right. Uh, so, you know, I keep thinking that when those voices start, if you could just scratch the record, if you could put a big old scratch on that CD and just stop it, then that's a step forward. Does that work? Maybe it does for some people, but the problem is trying to suppress, squash, kill, you know, silence your inner critic. Sometimes it can make those voices come back stronger. And you can understand that, especially if those voices are arising from something that is important to you, like taking care of your health or nourishing your relationships. Um, if you try to push that away, be like, no, that's really important. Um, but I understand, too, if the self-criticism is just like internalized years from, you know, internalized voices from bullies or from critical parents, it's, it's not so useful. But I think that it's really about um, dissolving it with kindness. So building an adversarial 
relationship with your inner critic, like squashing your inner critic, silencing it. Maybe some people have a good experience with that, but you can see that the issue is that it's more self-criticism. Now I'm going to beat up my inner critic, right? You're still beating yourself up because it's inside of you. So another approach would be to just kind of pour on the understanding and compassion. Like, yeah, I totally get that you're reflecting these years of uh, input, but that's not the direction I'm heading right now. I'm going to be more encouraging. So thanks for that information. Or yeah, thanks. I get that this could go wrong or... Thank you. I know you're trying to look out for me. It's just, I'm going to focus on this other area. And it's that kind of just gentle relationship with your inner critic that seems to nourish kind of that overall more compassionate, more encouraging, friendlier relationship within yourself towards your own thoughts and feelings. That is the author, Rachel Turo. She wrote a book called The Self-Talk Workout. I bet you know someone who beats themselves up all the time, driven by a hypercritical voice, just implanted by a, a tough coach, a strict parent, or maybe as the result of a traumatic event. Well, when we come back, more on how to manage this common torment, how top performers and athletes talk to themselves, and how we can send better messages to our kids. Take a deep breath, give yourself a break, and hang out with us for more of the Health Call Radio Hour. This is the Health Call Radio Hour, where treatments are always free, the stethoscope is never cold, and you don't have to wear an exam gown. Now, back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back to our session with psychologist Rachel Turo, the author of a book called The Self-Talk Workout, Science-Backed Strategies for Coping with the Torment of Being Hyper-Self-Critical. Now, she says an unrelenting voice that berates you for common mistakes and misunderstandings is very common, and it's linked to depression and anxiety. Frankly, one of her strategies sounded, well, yeah, a little bit just too much like happy talk at first. But then listen to why she says, training your mind to appreciate everyday small successes can result in big reward. This is tuning in to 10 actions that you've taken today to help yourself or someone else or the world. And there's no limit to how small they can be. These are things we usually discount as no big deal, kind of everyday sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the problem is we're often focused on what we haven't accomplished today. I, I never have a day where I'm like, I finished everything I've ever wanted. Everything is accomplished. Yeah. But um, marinating in that feeling of inadequacy of, oh, I didn't get this done. I didn't get that done. That can really drag a person down. So the spot, the success exercise invites you to list either in your mind or on paper these 10 things. Got out of bed, wrote an email, took out the garbage. And what my students find is that tuning into those successes might seem kind of silly at first, but that practicing it can generate more of a feeling of motivation. Like, yeah, now I gotta, I'm a, I, I gotta know? tell you, I, it, do, it feels a little fluffy to me. Like, is that <laughs> right. really gonna make a difference in my life? 
And some of these exercises will feel a little bit corny. We have a lot of skepticism, but this exercise is a form of cognitive reappraisal or seeing the same situation in a different way. And that skill is associated with less depression. It's not a big cost to spend a minute thinking about your successes, even if it feels silly. So it's an interesting experiment to try for a week or so. You know, my students say that it leads to more motivation or feeling a little bit happier with themselves. Okay, so so accept a victory when you when you have it. Okay, I get that. I love that phrase mm -hmm. that you just used too, marinating in your inadequacy. That's that hits with me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one away. That's a good one. Okay, you can do now, the opposite too. You can marinate in the victories. Yeah, there you are. Mm -hmm. Okay, see, flip it around. I think yeah. that's a great strategy. Okay, next, what else is on your list? There's wonderful evidence that mindfulness meditation, which is paying attention to this moment on purpose with a spirit of curiosity rather than judgment, that a regular practice of actually sitting down to do that for several minutes most days is associated with all sorts of mental health and physical health benefits. And one of the mechanisms seems to be non-judgment, practicing non-judgment. And a lot of people will hear this idea of meditation and have a reaction to it. I didn't yeah, it's a little like meditation, woo -woo, right? It's a little, yeah. It's a little it can California. seem that way, but yeah. there's so much great evidence right now. We have the benefit now of thousands of research studies showing that, you know, three to eight weeks of trying this out results in meaningful changes for most people. Not everyone. All the stuff is still going to be there. Thoughts are going to come up. You'll have a million distractions, and that's completely normal. It doesn't mean you're not meditating right. You might be disappointed because you're not finding that sense of quiet or calm or relaxation that you hoped, but you actually have the opportunity to train a different muscle, the muscle of non-judgment. Your mind goes away, and instead of saying, this is horrible, I hate my mind, I wanted things to be quiet, this means I can't meditate, meditation is terrible. Um, instead of that reaction, you can try out saying, oh, my mind went away, bring it back. Oh, my mind went away again, bring it back to your breath or whatever else you're focusing on. My mind went away, bring it back. Oh, it went over there, bring it back. And if you can do the reps, maybe a hundred times of that, you are getting stronger in at least two different skills. One of the skills is the ability to shift your attention. That is a very valuable skill. Most of us think about attention as just staying focused, mm -hmm. but it turns out that the capacity to shift your mind on purpose, oh, my mind is here, I'm gonna bring it over there. That is a very valuable skill and it's associated with less depression, less rumination, less worrying. So that's a great skill to practice and you can't do it unless you're distracted. If you don't have a distraction, you can't practice shifting your mind. So even though it might be frustrating, that is actually the rep. You notice your mind went away and you bring it back. And then you're also practicing the skill of non-judgment. Instead of judging yourself for being distracted, you're gonna practice, even though it's hard, noticing that distraction as, oh, I got distracted, no big deal, bringing the mind back. And it turns out that that generalizes outside of those minutes when you're working on the meditation, the breath, to your everyday life so that people feel less judgmental about themselves and less depressed in general. 
Walk me through a couple more techniques. I'm liking this. Great. Okay. So the mindfulness meditation is one of the, you know, most um, well-researched strategies to reduce self-criticism. Another one is called loving kindness meditation. It's very similar, but if you don't feel like paying attention to your breath or, you know, the sounds in the room, you can pay attention to repeating uh, good wishes towards yourself. Now, this might sound really hokey, but the research evidence is super strong. So you get to choose your phrases. Um, Common ones are like, um, may I be safe? May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I live with ease? You're not saying that you do feel these things, but this is kind of where you want to hang out. Yeah, you repeat those phrases silently in your own mind over and over, and your mind will start to wander. You might forget that you're repeating the phrases. And then the workout is the same. You bring it back to the phrases. It's actually another concentration and attention practice, as well as nourishing uh, kind feelings towards yourself. Have you done any research or or are you aware of research into what really top performers, top achievers and how they speak to themselves? Yeah, there's wonderful research on um, elite athletes. There's usually a lot of visualization, you know, visualizing yourself performing in the way that you would like to. And um, interesting research where the experimenters provided different kinds of mental training for how to relate to themselves, how to think about themselves, and then observed the effects. And it turns out that that encouraging, kind self-talk is associated with better performance than that harsh, judgmental self-criticism. So it's more specific and less personal to say, I'm going to adjust how I'm holding the tennis racket or the golf club than to think, I'm just bad at this. I'm terrible. I should give up. As a parent or a grandparent, in my case, Mm -hmm. are there some trigger phrases that I should be conscious about using around the little ones that I'm caring for? When you make mistakes, it's a great opportunity to normalize making mistakes as part of learning and growth. It can be really tempting to just repeat phrases like, oh, I'm so dumb, or I'm such an idiot. And that's kind of a normal thing to say for a lot of people, but little ones really soak it up. So those little brains hear that. But they can hear the opposite. They can hear, oh, I made a mistake. I'm gonna learn how to do that. Let me try that again. Oh, I burned the dinner. Yeah. So what? Right. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess I'll have to eat something else. I I feel really disappointed. I was really looking forward to that. I like that advice. So I'm going to teach my grandkids it's okay to make mistakes and show them how failure can be a teacher that leads to success and doesn't have to be fuel for torment. Psychologist Rachel Turo has more about all of this in an extended video version of our interview. It's easy to find out on the homepage of the Health Call website, healthcall.live. That little voice in my head says, time to wrap things up. So I hope you heard something that helps you live better and makes you want to join us again next week for the Health Call Radio Hour. You've been listening to the Health Call Radio Hour. The discussion of conditions and treatments on this program is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional who knows you and your health needs. Find the podcast of today's episode wherever you get your podcasts or watch extended video versions of today's interviews on the Health Call website at healthcall.live. While you're there, drop us a line to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future broadcast. 
Join us each week on this station for another edition of the Health Call Radio Hour. Podcasts by Federated Media.